We are continuing our series on summer stories, and uh, we were gone last week, if you guys noticed, if you were here, and thankful for James uh, coming and Phil. Did he do a good job? Yeah. Thankful for that. He had a good thing to share, but I want to back up to two weeks ago when I spoke, and I talked to, if you were here, I talked about Elijah and how to overcome depression and discouragement. Anybody ever face either one of those in your life? Everybody's hand should be up, right? We've all been discouraged. And, and so I talked about how God reveals himself in that still, quiet voice where uh, one version says sheer silence and that he is there. How many of you know we need to learn God's presence when everything is silent? Right? When, when you don't see big miracles happening, when you're not seeing big victories and you feel lost. Every one of us feel lost from time to time and a disappointment. And it's so important to realize that God is still a God even when you're walking through the valley. Even when you're walking through those lowest places in life, if you don't find God in that midst, then you'll only look for the mountaintop peaks. But God is there in all of them. I love Psalms 34, or 34, 23, 4, when he says this, when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? Because he is close beside me. God is always there. He says, your rod and your staff, and that's kind of, a, if you don't understand shepherding, which I don't think anybody, anybody here shepherd? Okay, I didn't think so. It was common back then. They understood the analogy, especially David that wrote that. But the rod was basically a, a stick with a, a big ball on the end. That way, when the enemy, uh, a wolf or whatever, would come along, they basically beat it off. All right? That's a, and then the uh, staff was something that helped bright, bring them back in. So he's giving this analogy that God is there. He's going to beat your enemy up for you. At the same time, he's going to bring you in. Isn't that powerful? So we have to find God in those things, and it's important to understand that. <clears throat> but today, I'm going to flip it and go the other way. I want to talk about the God of the miraculous. Amen? We still serve that. Not the time of his silence, but God in his power. And yes, like I said, God is in both. He's in the silence, he's in the mountains, and he's in those valleys. Amen? And I'm just going to tell you, I love seeing the power of God at work. Anyone with me? Like, I, didn't it awesome whenever God heals? Seeing God do that, when God restores things that are broken, that's exactly what he does. I love that, but can I tell you the most powerful uh, thing of God is when he changes a human heart, right? When he brings us, that's the biggest miracle of all. And so today we're going to look at a miracle in the Bible. It's a little unusual, mainly because of how it happened and who it happened to. Uh, if you grew up in church, you're going to be familiar with this story. If you didn't, you're going to love hearing this story. So today, I'm just going to kind of tell the story, and I'm going to share some little tidbits as we go through it and uh, as we get into it. So it is uh, the story of Naaman. He's a Syrian. Uh, it was called Aram, so you're going to see that in there. General that was there. So let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, it's found in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Arian, which is present-day Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master. He was highly regarded because through him the Lord gave victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. How many of you know he didn't know God, but God still used him? Our God still uses people even if they don't know, and they don't even know it. 
God is using them for his purpose. So uh, whether you know it or not, God is always at work. Amen? So he was highly respected military officer. He was the celebrated war hero like, like back in the days of Patton and MacArthur. People were like, oh, you know, Patton, MacArthur, and, you know, Eisenhower. They elected him president because such a popular general. He was known for his bravery, his courage. He was rich, which we're going to get to in a minute. He was smart, famous, all of the things that this world looks after. Wouldn't you like to say, my entire life I've been rich, I've been smart, I've been famous, I've been powerful and successful? Those are wonderful words right there. Uh, Naaman had all of it except the rest of this verse, he had leprosy. Like, oh, oh, you had all this going for you, right? Uh, the word leprosy here can refer to any kind of skin condition that was going on. And since Naaman was not completely isolated from the community, we can uh, assume that his condition was not super severe yet. Because back in the Bible days, people feared skin disease, right? Oh, what's going on in your skin? I don't want to touch it. Leprosy was highly contagious. Like you didn't want to get anywhere around it. What would happen to people that had leprosy is that they would get banished from society, uh, no more contact with anybody. It didn't matter how successful you were or who you were. In the scripture that talks about uh, King Uzziah, and uh, he had an amazing reign, but he got leprosy and he was isolated in his son reign. He was the king and he got isolated. So Naaman, he had everything going for him, but his personal life was in trouble. The leprosy ruined what otherwise would be a perfect life. And uh, probably like when people were throwing dinners or parties, it's like, hey, uh, let's scratch Naaman's name off of that, right? I don't want to accidentally bump into his nasty skin disease. Have you seen it lately? It's pussy. It's gross. It's not, you know, I don't want, let's keep Naaman out of it, right? So he didn't get those invites. Nobody wanted to get close to him. He was the general, but he was like, general from far. Just tell me your orders. Don't get anywhere near me. So the, the first principle in your notes I want us to learn is that nobody is above sin or trouble in life. All of us sin. All of us find the effects of that. And at the same time, all of us struggle. All of us have troubles in life. I don't care how good somebody may look from the outside how much it appears that they have it all. And sometimes we look at people and we think that, oh man, if I just had everything that they had, if life was just good for me like it, you know, like it is for them. Sometimes we put people on a pedestal and yet everybody still struggles. Amen? You and I, we struggle. Uh, let me just say some people are encouraged when they find out your life is not as perfect as they thought it was. And that was never made more clear to Pastor Colleen and I than years ago. We were in Colorado Springs, and we were going to our small group that night. The forecast for us was for light snow, and so we thought, oh, should we go? And the forecaster, I'm gonna, first of all, let me just say this. How many of you know forecasters lie? <laughs> I think that's a job requirement. How good can you lie and make people believe in it? All right, so he said, later on, there's going to be light snow flurries through the night. So it was like, oh, that's not a big deal. We're in Colorado. Light snow is coming. And uh, this is a picture. It's on the Internet because it was the snowstorm of 97 in Colorado. And uh, that's pretty. Some of you guys in Pollock Pines, you know what that looks like. Now, let me just say what happened here is that we went to our small group 
There was no snow at the time we went in, and I don't remember. It was like 6 o'clock or something. It was on a Friday night, and uh, there was probably 12 to 15 adults, seven kids. Our kids were uh, three of them in the mix. But by the time it was over, like two, two and a half hours later, uh, there were feet of snow on the ground. And the wind was like blowing like crazy. So it wasn't just the snow. You couldn't hardly see in front of your face because it was a whiteout. It was blowing like crazy. And, and these people's house was out in the country. And I was driving my, my, my uh, styling 1982 Honda Civic. Yeah, it was, it was styling. You can tell my kids were young because all three of them sat in the back seat. And, uh, I mean, that's what we had. That's what happens when you're poor, right? Uh, but the house was out there, and we're like, we're going to make it home. We're not staying here. We can figure it out. So we hopped in the car, and uh, we started to head out of the driveway. And there's snow berms that are starting to pile up. Because of the high wind, uh, it was like one part you would see the green grass, and the next part the snow's up to here already. And we're like, we're going to make it. We're going to get out of here. And there was a little ice that was forming because I had the windshield wipers going. And I asked Pastor Colin, can you knock the ice off of that windshield wiper? She reached out there, knocked it off, and then she pulled her hand back in with the windshield wiper. <laughs> it broke off. And it was like, now I can see even worse because now I only got one windshield wiper. And, and they talked, the people were out there like, you guys need to stay. So we ended up staying. And we thought, well, tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, we'll get up and we'll get out of here. Uh, nope, the snow was still going. was still blowing. The berms were getting higher. And uh, so not only did we stay Friday night, we stayed Saturday night. Uh, later on Sunday afternoon, everything cleared up, just like these people started digging themselves out of it. And, uh, and, and in the midst of being confined to somebody else's house with another 20 people, Things were getting a little tense. How many of you guys know when you got a lot of people in a house, sometimes things get a little tense? And it's Sunday afternoon. This was, let me just say, Colorado Springs, the Broncos were doing amazing. And uh, so everybody was there, and I'm like, hey, I wanted to watch the football game. We'll get to the snow later. Uh, those of you that know my wife, she's like, no, we're getting out now. <laughs> she's like, we got to get a shovel. And so let me just say, we had a little tense moment there between my wife and I on digging snow out or watching the football game. And I'm just going to end the... I didn't watch any of the football game. I dug out snow. So uh, when it was all over, uh, I don't know when, a lady had... A couple weeks later, this lady came up and said how encouraged she was at that small group. And her reason was is because she saw Pastor Colleen and I in a disagreement. Somehow she had it in her head that we were the perfect couple with the perfect family, and then she realized, hey, listen, they get into arguments like everybody else. I know this may come as a shock, but Pastor Colleen and I are human. We experience the same emotions, fears, frustrations. We make the same mistakes and failures and sin, all of that stuff. Nobody is perfect, am I right? Nobody's got it all together all the time. All of us struggle, all of us challenge, and so, uh, like I said, no one is above sin. Nobody is above trouble. We have to understand that. So Naaman, uh, as well, was not above that. So Second Kings, let's move on. Verse 2, it says, Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Now remember, Naaman's the, uh, the general. 
And historians believe that Naaman was the guy who led the raid into Israel, took this girl captive and thought, oh, she would make a nice servant for my wife. He brought her back, took her away from her family, took her away from her country, and uh, made her basically a slave in his household. And uh, this woman, this, uh, this young girl, she says to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now let me just stop right there because if I was taken captive by somebody and taken out of my country and held captive and the person that took me out of there is my master and they develop some kind of skin disease or something worse, I'm going to, you know, my flesh wants to say, I'm just going to see them rot. All right, anybody else with me? It's time to just, you know what, let it spread. God, give them the punishment that they deserve. This is their own fault. Bring it down on them. Right? Like King David, when he was at a point of frustration, he told about his enemies, God, break their teeth in their mouth. How many of you know that's not an anointed prayer? That's a prayer of frustration. But she didn't do that. She says, if only my master would go, he could be healed of his leprosy. I mean, think about that. There's an idea, a chance for something to work, a healing that is coming from the most unlikely source, a captured servant girl. And she said to Naaman, if only, if only he would go see the prophet. Those are two powerful words in life, are they not? If only. That's why I highlighted it right there. Because a lot of times in life we're thinking, man, if only I didn't respond to that uh, remark the way I did. If only I didn't send that text message or that email back. Because how many of you know once you sit send, it's, got, it's gone? Anybody ever want to unsend something? right? If only I didn't. Maybe you're like, if only my spouse would agree to marriage counseling, or if only that person would come to church, if only they would enter a Christ-centered recovery program. Anybody ever know people like that? If only they would do that. If only this person understood me, or if they only they would accept the truth. All, there's all kinds of help that is out in our world, but all too often people refuse help that is available to them. It's there but they're not grabbing onto it. Have you ever thought why? Why don't people do it? Here's help available, but they don't want that. And the bottom line is because we don't like to admit our weaknesses. Right? If I reach out, I'm going to expose that I'm not strong in this area. We don't want other people to know our problems, am I right? How many of you love to share that? Oh, man, I'm just po- some people post all their problems on their Facebook, but how many of you know most people don't? Right? We, we would prefer that other people not know how I fail to live up to their expectations or mine. That's my preference, right? This, let me just say this. This is especially true for Christians who fail because we're hesitant to admit that we're not living up to the standard that we claim. Boy, that's getting quiet in here. It's difficult for us to reach a Christian that's rationalizing or hiding or refusing to admit our sin. Right? Oh, no, I'm good, I'm good. I feel like we have lost this discipline that we call confession. And how many of you know confession is not coming to a priest to get forgiveness? Confession is, against, is with one another and confessing our faults because we're afraid people and how they may react. Oh, no, if I say something to that person, what are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about Or what are they going to post online? 
Can I just say, and maybe you've seen it too, I've seen Christian posts, derogatory posts about other Christians, maybe not naming them by name, but those that know them already know who they're talking about. So I can't let myself be exposed, and so we keep it to ourselves. But guess what? In James 5.16, he says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, not for healing, or not for uh, 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 forgiveness. How many of you know that's through God? Right? We go to God with our sin. We get forgiveness from Him. But he's saying, confess and pray for each other so that you may be healed, Right? That we may, confession, we may not understand it, but is a step towards healing in our life from the effects of sin. The way sin wrecks us, it's like, and I'm not saying confess it to everybody because that, we're not going to pull up the mic and like, all right, everybody start confessing. No, but you need to have two or three people in your life that you can talk and you can be real with. And when you confess that to them, guess what? They pray for you. If you're like, hey, listen, I'm struggling in this area. I don't know, you know, maybe you have a temper and you're like, I don't know how to get control of my temper. And you confess that to somebody and they're like, hey, listen, let's pray about that together. That's your step towards healing. And we don't want to do that because, well, no. Here's the thing. The things we don't want to confess, how many of you know everybody probably knows anyway? (laughs) Especially if it's a temper. How many of you know, oh, yeah, I know you have a temper, right? Finally. No, I'm just kidding. So it's a, let's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to get past that. Listen, we should be a family. We should be close enough. And if you're not close enough, how many of you know it is on us to build relationships with other people? That's why we do our small groups. That's why we have uh, different opportunities where people come together. I love our Thursday night prayer group that we have. There's only usually about nine or ten of us, but guess what? We all know what everybody's struggle is and what the things are that they're going, and we pray for that. Right? So if you're looking for a place, come Thursday night. Come to our Friday morning men's Bible study. Come to uh, uh, get involved in one of the small groups, and we're going to be kicking the. They're still going on, but we're going to be re-kicking those off in September. Find a place where you can have people in your life where you feel comfortable enough to actually be real with. Because honestly, sometimes we come to church and it's like, ooh, let me put on my church face. Everything's good. Hallelujah. Praise God. Bless the Lord. Too blessed to be stressed, right? And on the inside, you're like, oh, God, how am I going to get that bill, right? Uh, Normally, Naaman, he would not have paid attention to the servant girl. I mean, she's just a slave. He's the mighty warrior. But here's the deal. He's out of options. He's like, he's tried everything. I tried every ointment, you know, on that thing. Like, try this lotion, you know. I tried that. Here's this medicine. Here's this herb. Uh, go to this doctor. Go to that hospital. I've tried every cure. I've even tried every essential oil. <laughs> I'm not saying anything other than that. Every supplement, every special diet. Don't eat that cilantro. That'll make it worse, you know. Whatever it is, nothing worked for him. He was a diseased man, and he became desperate. He was ready to try anything. How many of you know desperation is actually a good thing? Because if you get to the point where you're desperate, that's when people really change. When you get to the point you're desperate, you actually start seeking help. You start confessing your struggles. You turn to the Lord. Uh, that's When you get desperate, that's when we finally give up our pride, drop the fake, fake image, and get real. Amen? A desperate person will go anywhere, will do anything, will spend whatever it takes to get the help that they know they need. 
you got to get to that place, right? Some of you guys here today and gals are, uh, realize that your relationship with Jesus started at a point of desperation. All right? Anybody here to that? Finally, I had to get to God. I was tired of going my own way. And so Naaman was desperate. He decided to follow the advice of this slave girl from Israel and, and go to the prophet. So in verse 4, Naaman went to his master, the king, told him what the girl from Israel had said, and he's like, by all means, go to the king of Aram, he replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, is that what the girl told him? Go to the king? No, it didn't. He didn't go to the prophet. He's going to the king because I'm Naaman, you know. I'm important. I need to, I'm going to go through the royal channels and, and do it that way. Uh, but that's not what he said. So uh, here's the letter. So Naaman left, taken with him, 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. Uh, what is that? Because we don't understand the exchange rates on that. I actually looked up a uh, talent and shekel and what it's... I mean, this is like winning the lottery here. The hundred, uh, that was equal to 150 pounds of gold. Did anybody know what the going rate of gold is right now? It's a lot, right? Actually, I looked it up. $22,908 a pound. So if you multiply that by 150 pounds... That is $3,436,300. So he's bringing almost $3.5 million worth of gold. And then the silver, which is kind of cheap now, seven, that's equivalent to 750 pounds of silver, and it's only $400 a pound. So that was only a mere $300,000. So if you do the math, and I'm a math guy, basically Naaman is bringing close to three and three quarters of a million dollars with him as a gift. And uh, it's kind of like this. Let me say, if I got an email from somebody and say, hey, listen, I, would you pray for me? I'm bringing a gift of three and three quarters of a million dollars with me. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to clear my schedule out. <laughs> right? I've got room. I've got time. Oh, yeah, I, have, you know, I know my uh, uh, daughter-in-laws are about to give birth, but listen, I will make time. And they'll say, make time, because they want some of that slice, too, there. I mean, I will clear out my, I'll, let's pray all night long, Amen. Let's take a week. I don't care. Uh, I'm just saying that, that was a lot of money, right? And notice that the servant girl never said anything about money, did she? She never said anything about send a letter to the king. And, and the thing we need to learn from Naaman is that he went to the wrong place, uh, brought the wrong price to the wrong person in an attempt to get what he wanted. Right? He was basically attempting to purchase his healing. Oh, yeah, I'm going to buy my healing. Uh, sometimes we think, and he thought God could be bought, right? Sometimes we do the same thing, am I right? Oh, God, I'm going to put an extra 20 in the offering if you'll meet this need for me, right? I'm, God, I'll slip you a hundo, right? Come on, I really need this. And you may not have done that, but how many of you know we do still like to bargain with God? Oh, God, I need this in my life, and if you give me this, then I will serve you from this day forward. Oh, God, if you'll do this, I'll not miss another Sunday of church. I'll even serve there and change the dirty diapers of the kids, if you'll do this. We like to negotiate with God and, uh, in order to get it, but I just want to tell you, God's not going to be bought. That's not what he's looking for. And so this letter was sent to the king. This is what it said. Think about it. This is the king of Israel. 
And if you don't know the history of that, the whole nation of Israel got divided into two kingdoms. There was Israel and then there was Judah. Judah had a series of good kings and bad kings throughout its history. Israel had nothing but bad kings. They didn't have a single good king. Some of them that weren't as bad as the other, but they were all bad kings and they all worshipped the wrong god. And so now this letter is going to the king of Israel who's a bad king. And it says, with this letter I'm sending you my servant to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. If you got that letter, like I can't cure any leprosy. And he was a little bit freaked out of that. I mean, here's, uh, I, I always wonder what else, did that letter say anything else like, you know, here's my servant Naaman, amazing, highly decorated general. He's invaded many nations, including yours taken captive a lot of people that were once a part of your nation. I want you to heal them. Sincerely, the king. Well, that would be crazy, right? That would be like Putin sending one of his generals that has got so much devastation, sending it to the Ukraine and saying, hey, listen, will you pray for my, uh, my guy here? I know he's ransacked and raped and uh, pillaged and done all these things, but we want you to pray for him. Right? And so now the king of Israel is like, he's a little freaked out. Because he knows his, uh, uh, Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, had already killed off all the prophets of Baal that couldn't do anything. And his heart, he knew that the God he was serving could not heal leprosy. And so it's like, oh no, what am I going to do? On top of that, he had actually tried to kill Elisha. Like, the guy I'm trying to kill is the only one that could actually do that. I don't think he's going to be on my side in this. So he tore his robes in grief in frustration because there was literally nothing he could do. And in verse uh, 7, it says, as soon as he read that, he tore his robe and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to uh, be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a fight with me. And, uh, And I love it. Somehow Elisha heard about that. And it says, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robe, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and, I'll, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So basically Elijah is saying, King, calm down. Don't get all worked up. Here's the thing. Naaman didn't need a politician at this point, did he? Appeal to the king. What he needed was a man of God. He needed a prophet. He needed somebody that had a connection with him. Uh, and he says, if he wants a healing, tell him to come on over to my house because I'm home. I'll be here when he gets there. And listen, there's a lesson that you and I can learn out of that. The fact that politicians, laws, and government, they don't have the answers that you and I need. We need to stop looking for those answers there. Quit thinking that we can elect God's answer for our country, and we need to go where the real power is. That's in God. How many of you know, no matter who gets in office and no matter what laws get passed, that doesn't change anybody's heart? Only God can change a heart. The problem that we have in America is not our government. The problem is that we've got a heart issue. We've got a heart that's turned away from God. And and so we're electing people that are reflective of our heart, not everybody's heart. And that's why we're in the mess we are. You change the heart, you change the government. Is that right? So we need to go to Jesus. Only he can bring true revival. So uh, that's just a little side note. But verse 9 
It says, Naaman went with his horse and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Let me tell you, Naaman didn't just show up with one of his buddies. It was an entourage that showed up. And uh, I don't know if this is the right picture there, drawing of it, but uh, he came to this little prophet's house. Think about it. Prophet, he didn't have a big house. So he's got this house, and all of a sudden, all of these horses and all of these chariots, this great procession going on, it's like a presidential motorcade came and stopped at his house. Like, this was amazing, because Naaman was out to impress people. I'm Naaman. I'm the general. I'm the one. And, and like Naaman, sometimes you and I can be consumed with our image. Oh, we want people to see us as something. And, and even, even when you finally go for help like he's doing, how many of you know we still try to present our best side? We still want to impress. I, I think sometimes it's one of the biggest challenges doing counseling because uh, before people come in, they've already decided what I'm going to say and what I'm not going to say. Because I don't want to look bad, you know what? I still want to, I, I got just a little problem here, Pastor. Can you help me with it? Because most of the time I got it all to get, figured out. And, and let me tell you, there's been times that I've done counseling that I don't even know why they're in there, right? Because they're not even telling the truth. Have you ever had that happen? It's like they're not even telling the truth. You got you to get past all the pride, push through all of that stuff in order for the need to finally come about. Amen. But what I love about Elisha is he didn't let Naaman get by with his pride. I'm sure he heard all the horses and all the chariots coming by, uh, but he wasn't going to be bought off. He wasn't in awe of that. In fact, Elisha was so unimpressed, he didn't even come out the door. He didn't even come out. I love that. He didn't go look at the horses and the chariots. Wow, Naaman, what a nice uniform you have. Look at all 3.75 or whatever million dollars. None of that. See, Naaman showed up as the general. You know, I'm the general that happened to have leprosy. But guess what? Elisha treated him like a leper that just happened to be a general. There's a humility aspect. He didn't pay any attention to his position, to his power, to his prestige, possession. He didn't care about any of it. Verse 10, it says, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, he's in his house. Oh yeah, go out there and tell him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. Going out there. I'm watching my favorite show on TV right now. I'm not going to be bothered by this guy. And then verse 11, Naaman went away. How? He was angry, and he said, I thought, I love this right here, because I get a mental picture of this, I thought that he would surely come out, stand, call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over my leprosy, and see it cured. That's showmanship right there. I don't think you can see anywhere in Scripture where somebody was ever healed by, ooh, let me wave my hand over your spot, and see, it doesn't happen like that, right? And, uh, that, Naaman's idea, he thought that was it. He wanted to be healed on his terms. Like, this is how I want it. He wanted it to be showy. He wanted to see this awesome display of God so that he could go and tell, listen, I'm important. I, I got to see a big miracle. I got to see something powerful and be able to go back. And he was mad for two reasons. Number one, Elisha didn't even come out. Secondly, he didn't like the whole river idea. 
Like the, uh, you know, that river. And it, he tells his servant, he goes, Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of these nasty, muddy waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went off in a rage. He was mad. He showed up with all of this. He had a temper tantrum. Like I said, I think he was okay with the river part as long as it was his rivers. It needed to be my way. Naaman's like, he's wanting this miracle from God, but he wants it his way because he thinks his way is better than God's way. Right? How many of you guys remember uh, Burger King and the commercial that came out? Have it what? Have it your way. I did this to the first service. Anybody you remember? This is like back in the 70s. You remember the commercial that came out? Anybody know it? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. That's all I remember. So uh, I was thinking, should I give a prize for someone that has that? Uh, But that was a big hit because, you know what, usually you didn't go into those places. You got the burger the way they wanted it or the way they made it, and then you had to pick everything off, right? So uh, Burger King put that out there, and what has happened, it's seeped into our culture, and we want things our way. Everywhere we go, I want it on my way, I want it my schedule, I want my preference, I want my timing. We want that at the restaurants we go to, we want it at church, it better be the way I like it, uh, and that's how we sometimes expect things from God. God, I want it my way, but how many of you know God is not like Burger King? It's not going to be, you don't get to dictate to God how he serves you. We can't put that out there. And I've heard people say things like this, well, I just like to serve God my way. Anybody ever hear that? Oh, yeah. I just, you know, I know you do that church thing, but I just serve God my way. I like to go out and just worship nature because that's where I feel God. And, you know, I like to collect my little crystals and do my yoga and burn my incense and smoke my weed because that's how I serve God. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I've heard some crazy stuff. All right, I'm just telling you, occasionally we get somebody that comes by here and and they're never connected to a single body. It's like, you know what, I just like to float around and I just go wherever the Lord wants me. And and how many of you realize God called us the body of Christ, which means we should be connected to a body. And I understand the entire, every church is part of the body of Christ, but we we are not the floating finger. If you're a body, if you see a finger floating around, you're like, man, that's out of place. we got to find a place where we connect to, where we can begin to build relationships with other people at. That's important. Amen? And I know most people would say, well, I would never be that way. Not me. But yet, they will openly criticize ministers they don't agree with. They'll openly criticize ministries like, I don't know why they're doing that, or services that may not go exactly how their preference is. I've heard this too, that people are willing to worship as long as Pastor Timothy picks the right song, puts it in the key that I sing in, at the right temple, uh, temple, I said that in the first service too, tempo, and at the right volume that I like. Not too loud, not too low, not too fast, not too slow. And uh, if you're not doing the one I like, I mean, let me just say this. We had a, a lady at one of our previous churches. She did not like how we did worship. She didn't have all, she go, and her complaint was, I just don't know what part to sing. 
She's talking about four-part, I don't know my part, I don't know my part. So she would sit out in the foyer until worship was over, and, uh, and she was grumpy. I'm just going to say that. I'm glad I don't see anybody out in the foyer right now. But she would, she would wait, and then she would come in, arms folded, and I'm like, man, she has got the joy of the Lord on her. <laughs> and I remember having this conversation after she said, I don't know what part. I said, your part is to worship God. How many of you know God? We're not performing for God. God is not like, oh, man, that four-part harmony is beautiful. Man, do you hear the altos and the sopranos and bass? I mean, we may like that, but I want to tell you, you may have the worst frog voice around, and if you're singing from your heart, God hears that as beautiful music. Amen? He's not looking for all of the amazing things. We're singing to Him. So who cares what our part is to worship Him, amen? A lot of times people say, well, I I want God's presence, I want revival, but it better make sure it's over by 12 o'clock because i got to get out of here. i got places to go, people to see. So God, bring revival in my time how I want it. I want to reach the lost, but I don't want it to be inconvenient, right? So many times we want God on our terms, but like I said, God is not... Burger King, amen? So, uh, friends, I'm telling you, it just doesn't work that way. The miracles uh, that God wants to do in your life, they may not be showy. They may not be this, uh, you know, oh, this amazing thing that maybe you've seen on TV. How many of you realize you don't have to travel hundreds of miles to get prayer from a specific preacher? Right? You don't have to, I, oh, man, there's revival going, I'm going there. You can do that, but you don't have to. You, can get, you may not feel goosebumps. Sometimes people have gotten prayed for, and they felt heat. They felt different things. But guess what? God can heal you without any of that. You, it may be a simple prayer that's not in King James, right? Let me just say that. Somebody could be reading a scripture, and it triggered faith in your heart, and you could get healed from that. You may get healed in the middle of a worship service where you're just worshiping God and your faith is like built up and God does a miracle in your life. Amen? So it doesn't have to be spectacular, but guess what? It might be spectacular because God is the one that's in charge. He may want to heal you in a spectacular way to be a testimony to others. And I've shared this testimony with you guys. Some of you may not have heard it, but 35 years ago, right after Pastor Colleen and I got married, uh, I had gone, I was in the Army Reserves, had gone and came back, and I had like cold sores like crazy. How many, well, you don't have to raise your hand. But I had them all, I mean, I had always had them for years. You know, how many of you guys understand cold sores are a virus and they're in your body forever? They pop out, and then they go back, and you're like, and then you get stressed out, and they come back again. They're annoying. That's all they are. And uh, I had them really bad. They were inside, outside, and like a good man that doesn't like pain, I, I was crying like a big baby. And I'm like, oh, it hurts. You know, and I'm not even hardly moving my lips because I don't even want to move my lips. And, uh, and my wife prayed for me, and I was still crying like a baby. That's why men don't have babies, you understand, right? We can't handle that. If, if we, oh, let me move on. Anyway, 700 Club happened to be on, and she's like, well, why don't you call them and have them pray? We're in our apartment all by ourselves. I called. They prayed for me. I hung up. I didn't feel any electricity. I didn't feel any goosebumps. I didn't feel anything. But it was like 10, 20 minutes later. I don't remember exactly. I, I kind of noticed all of a sudden, hey, they don't hurt anymore. 
Now, they're still there. They're still ugly. You wouldn't want to see me. Let me just say that at that point. But I went to bed, woke up the next morning, and then I woke up the next morning. They were completely gone. I was like, whoa, hallelujah. But you know what? I knew in my mind one day they would be back. I thought that. And guess what? They haven't been back in 35 years. Amen? Because I believe God took the virus out. And the point of that is that was not a showy thing. Nobody saw it. Nobody else would even know that was a thing except unless I told people. And I believe that God did that to let me know that he can heal anytime, anywhere, any place, any way that he wants to. Amen? Elisha, he didn't care how uh, Naaman wanted his healing. He wasn't out there to try to make Naaman happy. His job, I'm just here to obey God. I'm just here to obey him. He told him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman's response was, no way, Jose, I'm not doing that. Uh, that was foolish in his mind. Like, that doesn't make any sense. He, he wanted him to come and wave his hand over the spot. He's thinking, people like me, we don't, we don't wash in the Jordan River. He didn't understand it. Really, the healing had nothing to do with the water. It was a matter of his will. Are you going to do it? Sometimes the thing that keeps us from our healing or our miracle is our pride. Oh, God, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. I don't know if I want to do that until we humble ourselves. And listen, Naaman's servants are watching what's going on. It's unfolding, and they took a bold step. They're serving. You don't talk to a general, but they took a chance to talk to him while he's angry, and they said this to him. They said, uh, oh, there we go. I'd already skipped to it. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? That's basically the polite way of saying, listen, you would have obeyed the prophet if it made you look good. Right? If it made you look good, why don't you obey him regardless of how it makes you look? And amazingly, he did it. Because guess what? He was still desperate. He still wanted it his way, but when he wasn't getting it his way, he finally submitted himself. And in verse 14, it says, He went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Now, I don't know exactly how that looked, but I would have been pretty excited there. Right? We don't see that in there, but the principle that we can learn in your notes is that blessing always follows obedience. It doesn't precede it. You're not going to get blessed before. We've got to walk in that obedience. He had to be obedient to what the prophet told him. Otherwise, he could have left the country still with leprosy. He would have left missing it. And listen, I want to tell you, I hope you're hearing me. If you want God's blessings in your life, you've got to follow God's instructions. Oh, well, that's so old school. You know what? That's so... Yeah, it is. Because it works. God's blessing... Listen, if you want blessings in any area of your life, can I tell you, if you want blessings in relationships, you better follow God's plan. That means that maybe you have to forgive somebody. Maybe you've got to stop doing some things that you know you're doing and begin to follow because I want God's blessings in my life. If you want God's blessings in your finances, how many of you know it's not listening to the latest financial guru? It's following God's plan. Because I can attest to you, and I know others in here will, every time I have walked in obedience to God, God's blessings always follow. Amen? They always follow. The pathway to a miracle is never in disobedience. 
It's just not there. So here's the thing. The guy who had an incurable skin disease, he gets uh, healed. Scripture doesn't tell him about how emotional he got. We would have been jumping up and down, am I right? Let me just say how weird our society is right now. If that miracle happened today, then everybody around the world that has skin diseases would be going to the Jordan River. Oh, man, I want to get dunked in that river. I want, it's not the water, right? And at this point, after Naaman came out of the water healed, now he understood it had nothing to do with water. And the scripture says that Naaman and all of his attendants, the whole entourage, came back to the man of God. Now I know there is no God in all the world except Israel. That's powerful, right? The, the, the nation he had taken captives from, all of a sudden he realized, whoa, wait a minute, that's the real God in that nation. And I'm sure all of the servants are like, yeah, that's our God that's doing that. So there had to be some excitement that was going on there. And now he's committed that. And now he goes back and he tells the man of God, man of God I know that there is no God. And uh, went back to him, stood before Elisha. So now Elisha's out there meeting him after he walked in that obedience. So that is the, the number three, the principle that I want you to understand is that God's power is for a purpose. God doesn't just do magic tricks for people. There's got to be purpose in it. God wants to do a work in our life, but it's for a purpose. I told you about God healing my, my cold sores. I've had other things that haven't been healed, but you know what? That doesn't dissuade me. I'm not like, oh, well, he heals there, but he didn't heal here. Listen, I, I stand in faith because I know that my God is a healer. Amen? And it's for a purpose. I mean, listen, the other day, I don't want to tell the situation because this individual may watch online or whatever, but this person was distraught at a store that I go to, was on the phone, and I asked her what was going on and told me this story that was just heartbreaking. And I said, hey, listen, can I pray for you? And she's like, shook her head, yes. And guess what? I didn't say, I'm going to pray for you later. I did it right there in the counter with other customers around. And she looked at me like I'm a little weird, but I'm okay with that. Because I want to tell you, if God meets that need in her life, she's going to become a believer. Like God showed up. So I want to tell you, don't be afraid to pray for people, even if they don't know God. Don't wait till some other time. Do it right then that they know that there's a God. There's a real God with real power. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Jump out, and if you look like a fool, who cares, right? I'm going to look like it for God. So here's the principle in this story. And worship team, you guys can come up. Who's the hero of this story? Who do you think's the hero of this story? God? Was it Naaman? No, he was a stubborn... Was it Elisha? No, because he didn't even come out of his house, right? It was the one who told is that little servant girl, the one that directed him in the right place. So I want to challenge you, get past your if-onlys and say, listen, I'm going to be like that servant girl. I'm going to tell others. So uh, my last question before they get it there is whose responsibility is it to tell other people in your life? Yeah, it's ours, right? Your neighbor that needs, oh man, my neighbor, really, if only my neighbor would get to church. If only my neighbor would do this. If only my, my spouse would do that. Listen, this is your responsibility. Not like, hey, pastor, can you come over and share the Lord with my neighbor? Guess what? That is your neighbor. 
right? Living next to you. God strategically put you where you are and gives you the encounters that you have because you are that servant that wants, that needs to direct people to him. Amen? Amen? So that's my challenge to you. And, uh, and I've got the worship team up here because even as I've been praying, uh, I know we weren't here last week, but I've just really sensed that the Lord wants to do some miracles in people's life today. Amen? And so... Uh, they're going to be leading in this song, and can I have everybody stand up? I just want you guys to join in and allow God to begin to build your faith. After that's over, I've got a prayer team uh, that will come up here. And listen, maybe you need a healing. Maybe you need a miracle breakthrough. Maybe you need a financial breakthrough. Maybe you have somebody in your family or a friend that needs a miracle to happen. How many of you know we can stand in place of other people that aren't here today? Amen? So I want to encourage you, as we finish this song, begin to take the steps up, and we're going to pray, and we're going to believe God for you. Because we serve a God that still heals. Amen? We still serve a God that is miraculous. It's not on our terms but it's on his terms. As they sing that, well, go ahead. I'll let you guys sing that. And then uh, after, after they get towards the end, prayer team, if you guys can come up, they're going to continue with some uh, worship, but let's just take a moment and seek him. Amen. I've heard stories that improve your faithfulness. I've seen miracles my mind there is beauty in what I can't understand. Jesus, it's you. Oh, Jesus, it's you. I believe you're the wonder-working God. You're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen You're too good to not believe You're wonder-working God And you're here because you love All the miracles we'll see Too good to not believe Too good to not believe Too good to not believe resurrect a man with my own hands but just the mention of your name can raise the dead
all the miracles we see we're too good to not believe too good to not Too good to not 